0: But as you're going deeper, the light starts to fade and things get a little gloomy or dark and dusky almost. And then this hulk of a shipwreck or dark shape starts appearing below you. And I really liken it to being an astronaut.
1: That's Dusty Cliffman, a shipwreck diver in the Great Lakes. In just a moment, he is going to bring us into that underwater world. Now, when I say that Dusty loves shipwreck diving, I mean he really loves it. It's why I'm excited for you to meet him on episode one of Unsalted, a podcast for people who work, live and play on the Great Lakes. Dusty Cliffman has an ROV, that's a remote operated vehicle, sort of like a a robot that he can send underwater, but operate and maneuver from the surface of the water to film the shipwrecks. When I contacted Dusty out of the blue to be on the very first episode of Unsalted, his response was a very gracious and very enthusiastic yes. Now we had to work around his schedule a little bit because he was driving from Muskegon, Michigan, that's where he lives, to Williston, Florida to train there with one of his diving heroes. Now that is a 17 and a half hour drive each way. And that is what I mean when I say that Dusty loves shipwreck diving. When he was younger, he naturally took to the water. So his parents got him diving lessons for his 13th birthday. He would dive around for pop cans, golf balls. But about seven years ago, Dusty moved to Muskegon and he discovered the world beneath Lake Michigan's surface where time stands still.
0: There are some underwater preserves here around the Great Lakes, and I didn't know of that before. A lot of these underwater preserves have these shipwrecks listed, um, and they put buoys on them in the summer, so you can go out there and tie your boat up, and you can go right down to the shipwreck. So I didn't really know there were that many shipwrecks in the Great Lakes, and even until about six years ago, I didn't know we still had shipwrecks missing.
1: I have to admit, I'm one of those people who is so petrified of the underwater world. I mean, the idea of having on all that gear and swimming around down in the dark, it, it just, it gives me the creeps. So I'm one of those people who's so grateful that you're willing to do this, that you're so passionate about it, and that you're willing to share your photos and images with the rest of us. Has it ever scared you?
0: Um, Not really um, scared me, I would say, but It definitely makes you a little bit leery when when you go on a deeper shipwreck and maybe you've never been there before. um, But as you're going deeper, the light starts to fade and things get a little gloomy or dark and dusky almost. And then this hulk of a shipwreck or dark shape starts appearing below you. And I really liken it to being an astronaut. Uh, Not that I've been an astronaut, but I can imagine (laughs) it's quiet, it's dark, it's cold, and you're descending down on the shipwreck. That can get a little unnerving sometimes, but it is enjoyable as well.
1: What's been your most memorable dive to a shipwreck?
0: I would say it's, um, I've dove on it twice now, Mm -hmm. but it's called the Westmoreland. And I would say it's most memorable because it's really, really old. And there's a lot of um, lore that goes with it, with gold and whiskey barrels.
1: Okay, wait, tell me more. You have to tell me about the lore.
0: <laughs> well, um, this ship, it sank um, December 7th, 1854. And it was, it was, um, it was traveling north uh, with allegedly $100,000 in gold coins. Now, this is in 1854, $100,000. And that was going to be the soldiers pay for the winter that were stationed on Mackinac Island. Now, the Westmoreland never made it because it was in a blinding snowstorm and the waves got higher and there was actually a leak on the boat that they were fighting. And it eventually extinguished the the boiler fires and they were at the mercy of the seas and the wind.
1: And is the gold still on board?
0: Well, we're not sure about that. The guy that found it, his name is Ross Richardson. He's been all through the ship, and he said he hasn't seen it. And I've been through the ship a little bit, but there's one more level I haven't been to. You just never know.
1: Okay, so what is it like when you're on that ship, floating around looking for the gold? What are you seeing?
0: It's it's strange. The Westmoreland was 200 feet long, and it's it's a wooden vessel. But what's really uh, pronounced on the wreck are known as hogging arches. And ships that got, you know, around 200 feet or or bigger, they had these arches which supported the ends of the ship um, so they wouldn't sag or hog. um, And that kept them from flexing a little bit. Now, the best way I can describe swimming over the deck and through these arches in the dark, dusky, dim light floating it's like walking down a city street with skyscrapers beside you it's truly amazing and incredible how big these vessels are in comparison um, to me as a swimmer
1: what exactly are are you looking for are you looking for a hint or glimmer of gold
0: well part of what i do is i photograph these vessels and take video and and i try to preserve them through high quality photographs and video um, for people like you who don't dive,
1: who are scared of diving,
0: <laughs> and just history's sake, um, to have a good visual representation of what is down there and what was once there, so I'm not really looking for any treasures, and I really have to go back after the dive and review the footage to see what I've seen. I'm I'm mostly trying to to photograph these. Um, in the best way possible in the limited amount of time I have down there. Because in reality, I only have 15 or 20 minutes at that depth. It is a very deep shipwreck at almost 200 feet deep. And it was kept secret. The location was kept secret after it was found. And uh, only a, a very small handful of people knew where it was. And eventually that gets around, but it's still kept pretty, pretty tight.
1: How did you find out then?
0: It's a bit of networking and uh politicking in the <laughs> in the um in the diving and shipwreck world um honestly and so I I will owe a favor to somebody um that they can collect at one point.
1: All right, so does that mean that you were in communication with someone and they shared the coordinates with you? Is that how it would work?
0: Yeah, yep, um I I went out on somebody's charter um boat who runs a charter and Um, They got to know me, and, um, you know, I expressed interest in in diving certain wrecks, and they had that information and and, uh, gave it to me. It's not like it's a huge secret, but you don't want just everybody out there. You know, if if they're good divers and you know they're not going to be taking things, um, I think they're okay with it.
1: Is that why people in the community would be protective? It's concern that people would lift things off the ship?
0: Absolutely. I, I think that's a hundred percent the reason why it would be uh, why shipwrecks would not be unveiled to the general public um, as far as their location.
1: Have you ever seen anything on a ship that would actually be worth taking?
0: Well, back in the day, the The old timers will say they took anything from brass valves little little brass valves, they took steering wheels, portholes, dishes. you name it, if it could come off the ship, they would take it and really that's that's not how things are done today because there is a shipwreck uh law that prohibits the taking of anything from these vessels. So really, we just take photos now um. But back in the day, that's that was the reason for diving. You would go on these shipwrecks and um, try to see what you could find. And you would take back these brass items and polish them up and put them on the shelf. And, you know, that was kind of cool. And And part of that is why we have things in museums nowadays because of people like that. So it's not all bad. If we didn't take anything or if they didn't back in the day, we wouldn't have any Tangible items from these historic wrecks to look at and appreciate uh, because everything really breaks down over time, especially a wreck from eighteen fifty four um it's collapsing, and if you didn't take anything to preserve that, it would just be it would be lost under the bottom of the lake eventually
1: so I would imagine those old shipwrecks could become pretty picked over,
0: yes, absolutely, so a lot of the shipwrecks that uh the charters go on. Um, there's really nothing there except the shell of the boat anymore or the deck. Um, a lot of the, the first thing to come off the wreck I heard was, was the, the steering wheels. You know, everyone wanted those back in the day. And so a lot of times you don't see any wheels, you don't see any bells, um, portholes, anything like that.
1: The steering wheel was the prize. I, I would say so that and the bell. Will you tell us more about what you see down there? Well, surprisingly to
0: a lot of people, when they, when they see my videos or photos, there really is not a lot in the Great Lakes um, under under the water. Now, in comparison to if you went to the Car- uh, Caribbean, in some place tropical, there's fish life everywhere, coral, seaweed. Now, when you go into the Great Lakes, there's really no seaweed on the bottom. There's very few fish. Uh, once you get to to a shipwreck site, you know you'll have some bottom feeders like burbot, um, lots of the invasive gobies, and the invasive zebra and quagga mussels cover literally every surface of an object underwater. If there was a pop can, there would be quagga mussels on it. The shipwrecks are completely covered head to toe with quagga mussels.
1: I'm learning so much about this underwater world, but I'm also learning about the Great Lakes shipwreck diving community. Can you tell me more about it?
0: Well, its um, I would say it's segregated in a way, which is kind of surprising. Um, The old timers, I'll have to give a little bit of a story here. Uh, Back in the day, things were very, very secretive because people were out finding these shipwrecks that, have, have not been seen since they sank. And so the mentality back in the day was you kept it to yourself. You would take everything off of it. You could, and then you might share it. Um, one of the stories I heard was you would go out at night, two divers would go off of the back of the boat, um, over, over top of the wreck and the boat would keep going. The boat would come back an hour later to pick them up. It was that secretive.
1: Because they didn't want the boat hovering over?
0: Uh, they didn't want anyone to know where these wrecks were.
1: Huh, interesting. And
0: and, and that's really different from, from today and what I'm doing because I'm very public with um, the social media, with my diving page. And so it's, it's really in contrast to how it used to be because there are a lot of old timers still um, in the shipwreck game here. They're still out actively searching and finding wrecks and filming them. But there really isn't a lot between the old-timers and myself. There's not a lot of people in between doing it. So I'm from the new generation. I've got all the fancy toys, the ROV, the side-scan sonar, the good camera, and now a rebreather. Technology has really changed, and it allows us to do this, uh, the small guys like me, to do this.
1: If technology is changing how you explore and what you're capable of... Why are there still so many shipwrecks that haven't been found?
0: Well, there's, uh, you know, before all the big steel freighters, there were the wooden schooners. And there were so many that sank. um, And the records of where they were sank weren't always that good. You know, the newspaper articles from the um, 1800s, which we do have access to, thankfully, for research purposes, um, they're not always accurate. They could be off by 15 to 20 miles in, in their um, placement of where the wreck went down. And a lot of times if there were no survivors, it was just a guess as to where they were. But the other side of that is not everyone registered their vessel. So there's really not a record of the unregistered vessels
1: and how many sank. Is that where you go for information? Do you read old newspapers?
0: Yes. Um, newspapers.com. I'm I'm not affiliated in any way with that, but they, they have an online database where you can type in, um, I can go on there and say shipwreck, Muskegon, Michigan, 1852. And if there was a wreck um, there, it, it would pull up pretty much all the news articles, even around that area within a hundred miles or 200 miles, um, whatever your, your search parameters were. And it will tell you and you can read through all these different articles and kind of um, put them together and and uh, pick out the bits of in- information that are good. And you can apply that towards finding a wreck um, and or at least getting a search grid to where you should start. And a lot of times people will search for years without finding a wreck because they're not always where they're supposed to be.
1: Have you found any wrecks that had not been discovered before?
0: I would say... Yes and no. I've relocated quite a few wrecks. So ones that were found, um, but the location not shared or the location was lost over time. Um, uh, last last uh, fall, I did locate something in the Manitou Islands, um, but I wouldn't call it a shipwreck. It's more of a double-ended barge um, that I don't think anyone knew was there. But it's not really good for my first shipwreck, so I'm calling it really a, a no. I haven't found any <laughs> shipwrecks yet. I'm, what I'm
1: do you? No, wait. What do you mean it's not good for your first shipwreck?
0: Well, I'm looking for for a whole intact wreck. You know, hundreds of feet deep. That you go down there and it's still, you know, like these like these older wrecks. It's still whole and intact for the most part. Something really truly magnificent on the bottom not a small 20 or 30 foot long barge um, that sunk in the silt that maybe was sunk on purpose because it was past its useful life.
1: So tell me a bit about the ROV and what it has allowed you to see that you wouldn't otherwise.
0: One of the first things I used the ROV on was a shipwreck that I relocated um, in almost 400 feet of water. Now, this is my goal to dive that shipwreck. It's it's the John V. Moran, and that's in Lake Michigan in almost 400 feet of water. Um, that's my goal over the next few years to get trained up to, to dive it in person. But until then, I was able to go out and locate it, which which took quite a while. And then I'm able to send the ROV down and see this majestic shipwreck. It's it's so intact and preserved, it looks like it's sitting at the dock ready to sail. Um, it was a foot long, 214-foot-long uh, uh, steamship that sank February 9th, 1899. Um, it had barreled flour on it and packaged goods, it said. Um, and that actually got a hole in the bow from the ice. So it sank really, really slow, and that really preserves the wrecks. Cause a lot of times when um, ships sink fast, there's all that air trapped inside, and the pilot house and cabins they get forced off as the ship is sinking. So a lot of the shipwrecks they don't have their cabins or their top decks on anymore because of the air pressure um, actually rips them off the of the wreck.
1: Oh, that's interesting. Are there other things that might contribute to a well preserved ship?
0: Well, um, the the cold weather and the wind causes ice to freeze on the rigging and the decks and everything and that makes it really heavy. So once it starts taking on water um or sinking into the water a little bit, um it kind of floats like an ice cube and it just as the ice melts it slowly lets it to the bottom and it touches down gently and then you have a perfectly preserved shipwreck sitting there on the bottom. Um, that's generally the the best uh, preserved shipwrecks have sank
1: that way. Which of the Great Lakes would you say is best for shipwreck diving? Oh,
0: I am very partial to northern Lake Michigan and um and Lake Huron where they meet at the Mackinac Bridge. That's the dividing line between Lake Huron and Lake Michigan and I think that is just the most fantastic place to dive, especially early season um, when when there's the ice is breaking the visibility is just out of this world you can almost see the entire shipwreck when you descend down because it's so clear Um, at that point it's about 35 degrees fahrenheit Um, it's very very cold just above freezing so there's no algae growing there's there's really not any particles in the water it's just very very cold uh, so it makes for good photography. And that's why we like to get out there early so we can get these stunning and iconic photo- photos of these wrecks. Um, and most people don't start diving really until three months after that gold.
1: Okay. So you get in there a bit early.
0: Yes. And uh, and most of these wrecks um, have buoys on them in the summer. Uh, when we go out there, there's no buoys. So it's it's definitely harder to dive a shipwreck if there's nothing to tie off to.
1: Do you prefer diving in the winter months? Is that your favorite time?
0: I would say very early spring and and winter is my favorite time because of the clarity and also because there's nobody else out there. I get a little bit greedy. I like uh, the shipwrecks to myself and my dive partner. Um, it's, it's just wonderful to tour this underwater museum essentially by yourself or or with your dive partner and nobody else is there. Um, getting in the photos or or kicking up the the silt and sediment on the wrecks. So that's, that is my favorite time.
1: Well, as someone who entered this conversation thinking that the underworld was a bit scary, the way that you've described this, I mean, I just can hear and feel your passion when you describe these underwater scenes and the way you talk about it is like poetry. So thank you. I really appreciate hearing all about this world that I would never otherwise know about.
0: Well, hopefully you'll get in the water and snorkel or uh, even scuba dive someday.
1: Oh, baby. But I have to ask you, what's next for you? What's the next ship you want to discover or uncover?
0: Well, because so many people watch what I do, I can't say the name of what I'm looking for. But there are two wrecks that I'm currently searching for. And I've searched. A lot. I've covered so much ground, and I'm getting closer every time I go out.
1: Well, good luck with these next two shipwrecks, and I hope you'll keep us posted.
0: I absolutely will. Thank you so much.
1: Okay, thanks for your time, Dusty. Thanks, it was good chatting. That is Dusty Cliffman in Muskegon, Michigan. What an interesting glimpse into another world, and to discover the Great Lakes shipwreck diving community. If you're a part of this community, or if you have a good shipwreck story, please get in touch. Send an email to unsaltedpod at gmail.com or you can find me on Instagram with the hashtag unsaltedpod. I have posted a few photos from Dusty's underwater adventures there. Now the best place to find him online is on Facebook. Look up Blue Eyes Below. Thank you for listening to the very first episode of Unsalted. I'm your host, Alison Devereaux. The show's theme is by Adam Wendler. Coming up next. I got caught
0: right in the middle of that. So there was like thousands of birds that were flying on either side of me and above me. I'm glad that they're really good navigators cause none of them hit me. So that was really good. I've never seen that many birds in one place.
1: Rochelle Byrne joins us for episode two, just days after wrapping up a 420 kilometer paddle on Lake Ontario, she was gathering garbage along the way. Rochelle is a really interesting person. She's organized hundreds of shoreline cleanups I was lucky to catch her right after she finished that huge paddle and had a big nap, as you can imagine. So she was rested, but her memories from the trip were still really vivid. I hope you'll join us for that conversation on the next Unsalted.